are listening to Tech Reads, interviews with emerging technology thought leaders. Our sponsor is SoftTech, the premier technology trade association that has been serving Northern Santa Barbara and San Luis Obispo County since 1997. Our mission is to create soft tech moments where people connect, explore ideas, and create new business opportunities. Learn more at softec.org. This is Brian Schwartz with Tech Reads. Today I have Mark Cortez. He is the author of Climaturity to talk to him a little bit about his book and just enlighten us as far as what it is all about. So, Mark, welcome to Tech Reads. Thank you for having me. You betcha. So, the title, Climaturity, you invented a word. Can you share a little bit about what you mean by that? Yeah, so I uh, I got into clean tech, specifically solar, in, in uh, 1999. So I've been working in the industry for, for decades now. And, um, boy, over the years, so much has happened. It's now front and center in newspapers and in people's conversations. Um, but what's what's happened as has happened with lots of things these days, it's just become so polarized where uh, there's there's just the two sides, one on the left and one on the right. And most of us live somewhere in between. And so I got to uh, feeling like we weren't being told the complete truth by anybody and trying to find a way towards responsible climate policies and things that we could actually implement and afford uh, was just elusive. And so I started to advocate for something down the middle, climate surety, just a mature, open discussion about uh, what's really going on with the climate, what some of the real solutions could be. So climate surety. Got it. And you had shared with me early on that your your daughter had come to you kind of in a fear and that that really had an effect on you. Yeah, I uh, and maybe this is my DNA from from having worked early on in the solar industry in marketing uh, and being a brand architect, where we were really careful about the story that we told, and and we were just so proud the narrative, the narrative. Mm-hmm. and the um, we really felt like we were telling the truth at the time, and that we were making an incremental difference. We didn't overclaim, we didn't under underclaim. We were just telling people what some alternatives would be. Um, and so now fast forward 20 years and my daughter is now receiving all of these messages, literally thinking that we're killing the planet and that we're going to die and that she's not even going to be able to go to college and certainly not having kids because we're going to kill the planet. And I just couldn't help but think, and I continue to think this, how did we fail our kids with this message? And so I take it personal because I worked so hard at the beginning of this to craft a completely different message, and this is what everyone's hearing, that we're going to die, that we're, uh, we have, you know, it's always 10 years away from, from climate apocalypse, and so I, and then I also hear it on campus when I teach uh, at Cal Poly students. They're just hopeless, and they feel like uh, that things are just so bad that why bother? Why try to solve it? Why really have ambition and try to build a life because this is really uh, going to end prematurely? Yes. So. so the unintended consequences of your messaging. So why did you choose to write the book? Well, that really motivated me, I think, just to try to correct the narrative, but also create a new one. Because uh, if you look at what's happening today, we're really not making any progress. Okay, We're just sort of yelling at each other. And it's really one side yelling at the other who isn't even listening. And so now, now we've got proposed policies that 
are spending trillions and will have almost no impact on, on what is happening with the climate. So I decided to just come up with a different way and say, if we really want to solve this problem, uh, it's going to take most of us involved. And most of us are somewhere in the middle where we can actually have a reasonable discussion and not require each other to give up our kids' college funds to pay for some mysterious climate solutions. So that's why I did it. Was the just, pricey options that yeah, are being proposed. Yeah, pricey with really no insight into how they're solving the problems. And so that was that's why I wrote this, was just an attempt to uh, start walking down the middle, saying, look, we need, we need people from both sides of political aisle. We need... Uh, we need an open discussion. We need to complete all the half-truths that are out there and understand the limitations of what everyone's telling us. And would it safe to say that you discovered in your research some self-interest that's working its way into the policies and the recommendations and the solutions that we're all paying for? Yeah, I think um, part of one of the advantages I have now is that I'm not, I don't have a product to sell. And even though I've had a product to sell for 20-something years. So um, everyone is telling us their story, okay? So we like to demonize big oil, but I don't know one person in the entire world that is not using the benefits of big oil. You can't make any solar modules without lots of oil. You can't make windmills. So, right. so It's part of our modern world. It, it is, and it has lifted billions from poverty. I'm not an advocate. I'm just saying it's a reality. And so... Um, we, we need it, and we need to have a, a discussion about that, and, but we're not, really, we're not really completing the story. I, I see stories about how certain energy sources like solar are the cheapest, um, but I know just from my background that it's just this tiny little slice of time, uh, this little snapshot where that's true, and then most of the time, like, for example, when the sun goes down, it's not true because a billion dollars can't even power one light bulb when there's no sun. So all these half-truths are out there, and if you stagger them around together, um, you just can't get the true story. And no one knows what the real story is, how bad it is, and what some of the solutions could be. So are we actually, in the world of climate change, are we doomed and heading towards this direction of no return? Well, I think, it's, I think we know that the planet is warming. Okay, and, and it's not warming by 20 degrees, but, you know, all the, the, the projections and we could get, you know, get into the science and how valid that is. But it's showing that in general things are warming up, but a matter of a couple of degrees, maybe at the most. So uh, certainly not tragic. I, I look at uh, the entire 20th century uh, where, you know, in the 1900s, the world uh, heated by a, a degree. One degree, and humanity prospered just fine. In fact, we doubled in, in population and cured you know, hundreds of diseases, and so that's not fatal. If you turn the, you know, one degree is not going to okay. destroy the planet, and it's certainly not going to make humanity extinct. So, um, so we know that temperatures are rising. We, we can show that uh, CO2 is rising as well. We can show some correlation between those two, and the jury is still out as to one, one, whether one causes the other. Um, so we, you know, and it makes logical sense that with 8 billion people on the planet, we are having a, an effect on the planet, but our ability to adapt is extreme and, uh, there aren't billions of people just heading towards their, their imminent death because the climate is, uh, turning against us and everything's melting and we're just heading towards disaster. 
So some reassurance. I appreciate that. And so are we getting is is anyone out there really giving us a clear story of what is happening with the climate change? Uh, there's a couple. I, I, I find that uh, there's a there's a Danish e- economist named Bjorn Lomborg who's produced of a few a uh, couple of films and written a number of books called the uh, the uh, Practical Environmentalist um, who who has been out there and he's putting dollar numbers to a lot of these solutions which which I appreciate because in practical terms if the goal is to save humanity then there's lots of ways to spend your money better in terms of saving humanity, like curing diseases and things like that. So, um, so he's, he's a pretty practical guy, and he's got a column regularly in the Wall Street Journal that just sort of comes at it right down from the middle. And he's very, he says, uh, in, in many ways, I'm following some of his footsteps and saying this uh, from a renewal, renewable perspective, but he's, um, he's been out there talking and is certainly a, a lightning rod for a lot of the, uh, the folks who just don't want to believe it. Got it. So can solar, windmills, electric vehicles, all these solutions that we're spending billions of dollars on solve the, you know, help solve this problem of, of global warming, which you're, you're not arguing doesn't exist. It's whether or not those are the things that will have an impact. Yeah, and so I think that's the question. That's the question with all of these things is what's going to – will solar help? Of course. Will windmills help? Of course. Will EVs help? Of course. Will they help a lot? No. Um, and there's lots of reasons for that. But, uh, yeah, again, I go back to my solar, my solar roots. It was always meant as a supplementary power source. It was always meant to be plugged into the side of, it, of an, a robust and existing grid to just help give it some flexibility and some cleanness, if that's, if that's the right word. Um, and now it's being promoted as climate salvation. And, you know, how can a, how can a resource that only works 30% of the time be something that you can rely on? You can't. It's not a replacement. It's not a replacement. It never will be. And so people's answer is, well... Uh, let's stuff, up, you know, let's batteries. fill it with batteries. Uh-huh. Well, that, now you're just digging up the earth for a different type of... Yeah, you're giving it a different form of destruction. Right, so what's right. the diff, right? What's the difference? Mm-hmm. And so um, do they have a role? Of course they have a role. But it's not something, if, if we solarize the planet, if we switched everyone over to EVs tomorrow, would we meet any of our goals? No, we wouldn't even come close. And the math on it is really simple. So that's what that's what I guess frustrates me about a lot of this stuff and why I started down this path, which is dollars matter, dollars per, per um, CO two reduction matter, and we have to be having that discussion. If we spend two trillion dollars on electric vehicles, will it get us towards our goal? Almost not at all. And so the best thing you can do for that is drive less. Okay, so. That, that, these are the things that no one's talking about. and um, uh, one Public of the, transportation is a good alternative. Public transportation. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest thing, the biggest, uh, the best thing that happened to the climate game, and no one has said this, is COVID in 2020. We cut our emissions as a country by 11%, 15% in transportation in one year, what 45 years of climate policy, clean climate policy, haven't been able to do. One year, we did it. In months, what 45 years couldn't do. So the best thing you can do, turn off lights, drive less, use less stuff, don't replace the TV. And right. and then there's hundreds of natural solutions like trees and carbon 
carbon uh, sequestration and things like that, that that we just are completely ignoring. And in terms of the dollar impact, um, they're they're just much more, um, they're much much better and easily easier to implement. I had another question, but it escaped my mind. Hopefully, it'll come back around. Um, so, if lowering CO two is the goal, and you touched on these a little bit, what solutions are the best? Yeah, so uh, it's, for me, it's pretty binary. You're, the goal is to remove CO two, make it less. So, all of the solutions that are being touted these days: electric vehicles add CO two, solar adds CO two, windmills add CO two, anything that makes energy adds CO two. Hmm. The the the, uh, the the accounting trick that gets used is, well, it adds less CO2 than really bad stuff, so we're going to take that credit. <laughs> and that's sort of this fake math, okay? So the bottom line is nothing, all these energy sources only make the problem worse. That's so, so you need trees, you need uh, agri-farming, you need hundreds of, of the natural solutions that are out there. You need conservation. You need to just use less. There's more people eating more meat. I've heard that argument. Yeah. So we're producing way more than we used to. Yeah. Um, There's more people. Um, So energy efficiency, just, you know, buildings, uh, making uh, making them more energy efficient so they use less stuff. People using less stuff. Imagine a government that um, would incentivize you to to use less stuff. Right, use less electricity. I mean, that was right. Uh, just use Step less. Step off stuff. of the consumer wheel for a minute, or or uh, or plant trees, Incentives, or yeah, save nature. Um, but no politician is doing that because they can't take credit for jobs. Matt, you know, which politician is right. going to stand up and say, "Go plant a tree and turn your lights off um, to save the planet"? Well, and you, I remember my question. So you introduced me for the first time to this concept of climate credits. This whole world I didn't even know exists, but it's driven by politicians and public policy. And I don't know how many people understand how climate credits really work and how companies are being given incentives and how they can purchase credits from other companies. But is that an example of where the politicians and the policies are just sending us on this trajectory in the wrong direction? Uh, I guess it depends on where it is. So the, the, the idea with climate credits is you can buy s- someone else's right to pollute. So if, uh, and this is typically when governments decide they're going to regulate their emissions, they put a cap, and they've done this in California. There's they penalize you financially if you... Yeah, okay. there's cap and trade. So you mm-hmm. are allowed, to, you are allowed uh, with your manufacturing plant here in California to emit certain... Uh, amount of CO2. And if you go above that, then you're penalized. So the way that you get around that is you buy that excess pollution space from other companies. Um, and as who aren't a, using it. Who aren't using that. Yeah. So I personally am in favor of financial markets like this because I think it starts to put price tags on change. Uh, on change and it, it requires companies to have, they have a financial incentive to watch their emissions. So so it can work, but like everything, it just you know it just depends on the implementation, and you know you know, and and who oversees it, who uh, who who manages the program. Uh, so who dictates the specifications of what a climate credit consists of? Right? Is that's a moving target? I'm yeah, sure. That, that of course, and and again, I I also it places this. It, it does have a tendency to place an overemphasis on one aspect of climate change, which is emissions. Where there's uh, that, which is where ninety percent of the discussion these days is focused on emission, 
Um, so uh, it can work. I, I'm a believer in new financial mechanisms because at the end of the day, uh, like as we like to say, right, there's no green until there's green. In order for this to work, um, people have to be able to make money at it. Making money is not a not a terrible thing. Uh, you're not you're not going to completely gut the entire economy um, to to reverse this or manage the climate. So you, people have to have jobs. It has to make financial sense. So I personally don't like to demonize oil companies because I've seen what happens if you can show them a profit motive and a way to make money by pulling carbon out of the air. Watch what happens. Watch all those resources get focused into actually making things better. So wow. And so are there companies out there that? Part of their business model is literally the climate credits that they can sell to another company. I mean, is that baked into their bottom line? I didn't realize that business owners are potentially getting a little more money on the side that didn't even exist before all. You know, trading trading financial credits uh, is. uh, I I don't know of an example specifically for that one, but Tesla, uh, one of their big revenue streams is uh, trading their their financial incentives that they get for the government for uh, manufacturing, for clean manufacturing, right? They get all these, they, this whole stack. More credits than anyone else. Yeah, so uh, Tesla, that's, that's a huge uh, value that, they, um, that they're able to trade and monetize doing that. So um, carbon trading market is is set to be one of the hottest industries here over the next 30 years for, for all these reasons. Mm. So, um, yes, it has ability to be, you know, to fraudulent like anything else, like any financial transaction, but tons of attention on it right now, and um, it's, a, it, it's a viable business model. Very cool. All right, well, is um, the, the goal for, like, even for California at a very high level is to get to this zero impact, right? I know even, I think San Luis Obispo, they want to get to this net zero, yeah. this unimaginable goal where essentially we don't make, we make zero impact on the environment. Is that a realistic goal? Uh, it's it's I, realistic, yes. Um, it's a stretch goal, but I guess my problem with this goal is, is it the right goal? Okay, and so everyone's net zero, zero carbon. If you think about what that means, right? So Every, every day we emit more and more CO2 into the air. The goal of net zero is to make that growth zero. Okay. Okay, so here's an analogy, and maybe it's a bad analogy. I call it the avoided donut theory, right? So you go into a doctor. He says you're 100 pounds overweight. you got to lose, lose weight. And he says, what's your plan? And you say, well, I normally eat 50 donuts a day, and now I'm going to start eating only 10 donuts a day. So that 40 that I save... If I do the math, after three months, I've lost all that weight. And the doctor says, well, wait a sec. You're still eating 10 donuts a day. You're still getting fatter. Well, that's this. Okay, So a net zero means I'm just going to stop eating donuts. Okay, So no more donuts. But you still have 100 pounds to lose. Okay, So that's the problem. That's the problem is that it's the wrong goal. You're not making things better. You're just making it less worse. Mm. And so even if... If you do the math and you just lay it out there, everyone gets to net zero. Has that solved the climate problem? No. We still have to, we still have to lose 100 pounds. We still Got have it. to get total CO2 down, down, down. The only way you do that is by removing carbon. So that's my problem with it mm. is that we're spending all this money to get to, you know, it's going to take us 30 years to, to get to net zero. And then what happens is we look around and we go, wait a sec, we've just had 30 years of 
zeroing out the growth of a problem, but the problem is still there. In fact, it's 30 years worse. worse. Mm. We've still added 10 donuts a day for 30 years. Well, and I, you know, what I wonder and, and fear is we can do everything right here in the U.S., which we have control over. But ultimately, we are all impacted by the actions of China and any other yeah. country that is struggling to get their economies underway yeah. is not being playing by the same rules. So ultimately, that seems like a losing game. I mean, is there anything we can do to counter the negative impacts that other countries are dumping into the world? I, I would love to see us, and part of this is, again, why I, I wrote this book, is we need, we need a collective not only policy, but a kind of a collective ethos that, that is just truthful. Like, what are the limitations? What are we trying to do? And do this collectively. I would, you know, most times when you talk to people, they believe that we're impacting the climate. I think there's agreement on almost with everyone that way. But we don't know, is it really, is it really terminal? Are we dying? Or is it, is it something that just we're reading about in the newspapers? But most people can have a rational discussion about it if we're not married to certain solutions. So I would love to see us as a country just say, here's the way we're going to tackle this. We're going to, we're going to be open about it. We're going to talk about the limitations of, of climate science, what's real, what things that we're guessing at. Here are all the options that are available to us, the pluses and minuses. Here's how much money we think we can reasonably spend. Uh, and then create a real model that we can look at and say, all right, developing nations... Um, here's something that we can replicate because developing nations, they need a guide. They need a blueprint. Yeah. But developing nations are not going to give up oil. Are you kidding? I mean, you're going to show up into Africa and I've personally done this, uh, with solar panels. They go, great. What do I do when the sun goes down? Right. They need reliable energy. That's never going to happen. So developing nations or developed nations like, you know, us and China and Europe and, and, you know, the, the, first world countries, um, we, we need to create a blueprint that's manageable and that doesn't require a uh, complete reversal of uh, everyone's way of life in order to make this work. So I would love to see something towards that. And again, that's why I, that's why I wrote this was to, uh, to start trying to have that dialogue. Well, and I also think having full disclosure, as far as, you know, if you have a self-interest in something that you're recommending, it needs to be transparent to everybody because you have to question the the policy should be being made by people who have there's no bias and full disclosure is means you kind of lay out all of your yeah. cards and and then we know for sure that you're coming from a place of truth because i think what's ultimately happening is there's just a lot of bias that people carry into this conversation that they don't even realize they have and i think you talk about implicit bias in your book yeah uh, look, we all have biases, and, and I, I, I do as well. Hidden, right? We don't even know we have them. Yeah, and so I, I view all of these energy options as we need them all, okay? I mean, oil is not going anywhere in our lifetimes. If you sh- I, I, I tongue-in-cheek joke, I'll say everyone who, needs, who hates fossil fuels, they're, they're welcome to stop using them today, like any other product. Um, but you can't. See how many things disappear from your life. You can't. You right. live in a cave, right? right? Every single thing that we have, shoes, clothing, food, uh, the, the microphone that this is being recorded on is made with oil. It's not going away. It takes a lot of oil and gas to make products that use less oil and gas. We need it forever. And so it's not going away. And it doesn't need to. That doesn't mean we can't make a transition. But 
Um, the yelling and screaming and ignoring each other, I think, are what is is hindering uh, progress for all this stuff. Um, we're not we're not killing our kids. We're just not. They're going to be able to have kids. <laughs> it's they're putting the fear into everyone to force a change, but they've gone too far, as you've seen with your own daughter that and your students, that it's just having an adverse effect that I don't think the people building this narrative realize the Al Gore's of the world that, you know, built a very big platform off of this, that ultimately the ripple effect of your gloom and doom, the world is coming to an end, are having on our younger generation. Because we're not going to be here, and I hear, I actually hear this from older people, like, well, I'm glad I'm not going to be here to have to deal with this problem. Yeah. That's, what do you do if you're someone young who hears that? I mean, you're like, well, screw you. Thanks for leaving this mess for me to clean up. Thanks for killing us. Um, You know, one of the things I, uh, writing the book itself was actually eye-opening in a lot of ways because I did a lot of research. And um, I think, look, this is a, these are strategies, okay? This is not, this didn't happen by happenstance. Um, I I uncovered, or at least I found and I understood, uh, you know, if, if you're wondering where the media got this from, I can show you the blueprint, there's a labeling guide that says, here's what you should call people if they don't agree with you. Mm. You're not allowed to say climate uh, skeptic. You are not allowed to be called that. They have to call you a climate science denier. Here's the blueprint. So this is not a conspiracy. There's, I mean, this is Columbia University journalism school. Here is the blueprint that, that gets you. So, um, there's a strategy and the goal was to, to scare people. My, my point was, um, it's not working, right? Scared kids is not the right. goal. Uh, scared kids leads us to all this ineffective stuff. Okay, a way better, you know, you, you don't want to force people to choosing between their college education and saving the planet because guaranteed everyone's going to put their kids into college. It'll never happen. So how about reasonable stuff, you know, that, that people could do that, that, can, that will actually make an impact that we can show, make an impact that, that we can you know, join together as opposed to continue to keep us apart. Cool. Well, uh, if you want to get more information, Mark, where can they go? Climaturity.com. Um, that's the website, and uh, the book should be available here in the summer. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Well, thanks for your time. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to Tech Reads, sponsored by SoftTech. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and share it with your colleagues. If you have comments, questions, or want to suggest an author for a future episode, visit softtech at softec.org and click on the Tech Reads link.